Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Welcome back, everybody. Let's get into it. I have a larger document that I want to get to a little bit later in this episode, which comes directly from the World Health Organization, which is, uh, it's really an interesting document. Again, this was making the rounds on the internet, and it's a 40-some-odd page PDF, sorry, 26, 25-page PDF, and um, it is titled Vaccine Crisis Communication Manual, a Step-by-Step Guidance for National Immunization Programs. There are more angles to this than I think what what people are understanding. I'm not claiming to understand everything about it, but I've read the document, and it's evident that there's a number of different things going on with this document. People are claiming, of course, that individuals on 4chan found it. Um, probably not that hard of a, of a document to find, but it's certainly making the rounds, and I want to dive into that a little bit later because, again, there's lots of angles to it, and unfortunately, a lot of people are sort of, I guess, I guess I would say taking a face value approach at it and simply saying, well, this is the media's response to it. This is what the media will do in the event of a crisis regarding deaths associated with the vaccines, quote-unquote, bioweapons or even how to convince people in order to take more in the future. There's more to it than just even that, not to mention this isn't just for media use. This is intended for every avenue of society, and every group, company, organization, institution, whatever name you want to use, this is a playbook of how to get everybody on the same page as to what to do. So it's both it's both implementation of propaganda and at the exact same time propaganda crisis management on both ends of the spectrum. So I'm going to, I'm going to get into that document a little bit later. But there are some things here that I want to cover first. Uh first of all, just a couple of headlines from kind of around the world and around the country very briefly. Again, more individuals are certainly dying in American schools now. And these stories are making the rounds on numerous outlets that, again, children are dying in school. Again, you heard me say that this was an inevitability. This, of course, has been happening since the start of the the jab rollout. But this isn't going to go away because, again, as you've heard me say, both on this show and the Dangerous Info podcast, when it comes to athletes, they have they have pretty regimented schedules. I mean, they're going to die or fall ill, I should say, even, well, yeah, both or one or the other, within just a handful of locations. It isn't any different with a student. Students are going to pass away either in their classrooms, on their way to a classroom, uh, you know, with their roommates and, in, in, you know, wherever it is that they're living. They might do it at home while they're exercising. The point is, is there are going to be witnesses to their passing and certainly to any ill health effect that they have, and, and that is going on. But first, I want to get into this because, again, these are just a couple of very basic and pretty straightforward education stories that really have a larger impact and, and show people, I think, how easy you can fix a problem. In particular, when you're a governor or you're in a political position, you you have a lot of say and you have a lot of pull. Uh, The first comes from the National Review here. And again, 
the new Arkansas governor is Sarah Huckabee, or Sarah Huckabee Sanders. She immediately banned critical race theory in K-12 schools with an executive order. This says the following, newly elected Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders banned critical race theory in K-12 public schools on Tuesday as one of her first actions in office. She also said in her inaugural address that she wanted to see schools return to teaching, reading, writing, and math and science, not training in progressive frameworks like critical race theory and gender ideology. Again, executive order signed just after she was inaugurated as the first woman to hold the governorship. See, here's the thing. Any governor can do this. This is basically my overall summary point here. Any governor can do this in the blink of an eye. Any one of them. And then as the executive order is being implemented, and it should be, you have the state legislator get together, legislators get together, and eliminate all of the critical theories in K-12 schools. Eliminate all of them. If this garbage is going to exist at the college level, we know that DeSantis, of course, is allegedly going after that also by asking them how much money they're spending on it, who it is that's actually doing the teaching, and they're going after the money, essentially, because they're claiming, of course, that it's financially irresponsible and brainwashing and a Marxist ideology that seeks to hate their own country and so on and so forth. And they're right. But an executive order first is the way to go if you're a state official or a state governor. Then again, you have the state legislators and the, and the lawmaking body eliminate it as quickly as you can. The proof is undeniable that it doesn't need to exist. It's in the history books. Well, it's in the real history books, I should say. But this is how it gets done. And executive order, orders rather only last so long. And they can, and they of course can be attacked by endless lawyers and endless judges, and non-government organizations all they want, and that happens with regularity. What what needs to happen is it has to become law, and there are some states, of course, that have made it law. I believe West Virginia is certainly one of them. Indiana, if I'm not mistaken, they've gone directly after K-12 schools and state departments of education and said, "You can't do this anymore." With that said, we of course know the games that they play and how they reword things, and then they end up just hiding their particular critical theories in other avenues. And they're certainly going to keep doing that because the enemy isn't going to quit. But there are certainly a number of individuals that can keep a close eye on that. We as citizens, of course, can do that anytime that we want. Uh, you know, there are other investigative bodies that are doing the exact same thing, and they should. Again, when the lights come on, the cockroaches come out, but they also scurry back into the cracks. And that's going to happen, certainly in Arkansas, and it's happening a lot of different places. But the point is, is that an executive order out of the gate is exactly what should be done. And if your state has not implemented an executive order to eliminate it, you should know exactly where they stand. You know, I live in Ohio, of course. This continues to exist here. The critical theories, the diversity, equity, and inclusion garbage, it still exists. That's because Mike DeWine is a piece of trash. And Mike DeWine is absent on all of this. And the State Department of Education, of course, is directly involved, and they love it, and more rainbow flags everywhere for everybody. That's their entire approach. But even then, local K-12 school districts and their school board members can eliminate it if they choose to but many aren't. 
and that should again tell you all you need to know about them also. Point is, the executive order is the first thing that should happen right out of the gate. Then you make it law. That's kind of the whole point. When it comes to this, however, this becomes a little more difficult because it's far more radical. It will equally as radical, but of course it occurs at the university level. This is from The Telegraph, and it's titled, Leading, Leading American University Removes the Word Field, quote-unquote, F-I-E-L-D, because it is racist. The University of Southern California says that the term field work may have negative connotations for descendants of slavery. These people are so stupid that, again, they don't know what month of the year it is. They have no idea what's going on. This right here is the brainwashing that exists within all of these institutions because the very people implementing this are brainwashed themselves, and yet they have no idea. It, again, exemplifies the entire K-12 and university setting in a nutshell. We know that there are, again, good teachers and good professors who are trying to shake students out of this kind of brainwashing, but they have no idea that they're mind-controlled. You know, these students that actually believe this, the professors that actually believe this, they just have no idea. Um, here's one example within this particular article. It says, in a letter explaining the decision, the University of Southern California's School of Social Work said, quote, this change supports anti-racist social work practices by replacing language that would be considered anti-black or anti-immigrant in favor of inclusive language. Quote, language can be powerful and phrases such as going into the field or field work maybe have connotations for descendants of slavery and immigrant workers that are not benign. Honest to God, you know, once all the words that they don't like are gone, and once all the statues are ripped down that they don't like, and once all the books are eliminated that they can't stand, what are we left with? We're left with a complete reversal of any law that's in, been implemented or any logic that exists. It's nuts. You've heard me say it a thousand times. I've ripped on it on this show a million times. Same thing with Gab. I've, I've said the same thing constantly. These institutions are only for the uncivilized and the brainwashed. They are for the lost. They are not for anyone else. Again, the individual is going to realize what they are individually capable of if they seek out education and logical education and knowledge as an individual. If they're relying on institutions like this to tell them things that are not real, they are lost forever. They're gone. Which brings me to this story, and I have to mention this. I'm going to apologize in advance. If anyone listens to this show and knows the individual I'm talking about, so be it. You know, I'm, I'm going to apologize, but I, uh, hardly an apology is necessary here. Uh, I'm, I'm going to leave the names out of it, but if they were to listen to this, they know exactly who they are. And I have massive respect for them. I really do. I, I know these people personally, knew them, I should say, certainly a, a long time ago. And we used to work together. But there was a, um, a married couple that I used to work with in a school where I used to teach, in a state where I used to teach. Very nice people. 
They invited me into their own home, drank beer together, we golfed together, we had a great time, shared stories, learned from one another a number of things. It was They're very common sense, down-to-earth people. If you were to talk with them or listen to them, you would swear that they were conservative republics who loved this country and loved everything about it, loved the freedom, loved everything. Unfortunately, these were individuals who were, again, much like K-12 school teachers, and it's really no fault of their own because it's a trap, and it's a trap that a lot of people get into as, as educators, but they were, at the time, very routine-oriented and, uh, and really not politically involved or politically savvy in any way. And again, hearing the way that they would talk, you would never assume that these people would vote for Barack Obama, but they did. And they voted for Barack Obama, and they tend to vote Democrat across the board. I could never understand why. And I remember once hanging out with the husband, and we were, we were friends. And I said, and I asked him once, because we never talked politics, but I asked him once, where do you sit politically? How would you, you know, do you pay attention to politics? Like, where do you sit politically? And they said that, uh, you know, they, that he and his wife would wake up in the morning and they would turn on NBC and they would watch the Today Show almost every single morning before going to work. And right there, of course, that was a red flag for me. And I thought, well, that's, you know, that's not good. But he kept going and he, he very briefly covered it. And then that was pretty much the end of the, of the conversation. But he said this, he said, because I'll, I'll never forget it because it was interesting and uncharacteristic of, again, who they were as people. But he said, we're fiscally conservative, but we are socially progressive. That was his exact quote. And I, and I thought to myself, okay, he, he's voted for, he, he voted for Obama. And he made it evident that they didn't always vote Democrat, that there were conservatives that they would vote for in particular locally because they don't like higher taxes and this, that, and the other. Again, the, the, the conundrum of that, you know, the hypocrisy of that statement alone was, was a bit odd. but. We never really covered it beyond that, and then that was kind of that was kind of the end of it. Um, this this couple, again, older than me by at least ten years, they had one child, a daughter, who again was an only child, uh, and was I would say very book smart, and certainly an intelligent person, but. I don't know how socially intelligent they were, in particular, again, when it came to being manipulated and the lies that are told on TV, the lies that are told in media, entertainment, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, th they were also individuals that would attend Disney on a regular basis, and they would vacation at, at Disneyland or Disney World, sorry, in, in Florida on a, on a constant basis. They, they enjoyed it. Um, I wonder if they know about Disney now, and I wonder if they know about the history of Disney and, and what it all means and whether or not they would be willing to give their money to that. What I also found interesting was, and again, 
it didn't necessarily fall in line with some of the political things that they would say, but behaviorally, again, they were law-abiding citizens, very intelligent people, and I remember them giving, I mean, there were sports watchers too, big sports watchers, both college football, NFL, things of that nature, in particular, just football in general, and soccer as well, international European soccer. But I remember when Jameis Winston, the quarterback who again was accused of sexual assault and stealing crab legs and, you know, all of that stuff, he became the quarterback of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which was one of their favorite teams. And they said, if the, if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers draft him, we're done watching Tampa Bay football. We're finished. In fact, we're just going to stop watching football. And I thought to myself, that's awesome. Because again, I wasn't watching football at the time at all. And I, and I explained that to them and I explained why and they listened to it and it made sense to them. And so I would say, you know, your, your team's about to draft Jameis Winston. How, you know, what are your thoughts on that? They were angry about it. They didn't like it. And they were, again, willing to give it all up. And they did. They stopped watching uh, Tampa Bay football. They would send me pictures of when they were vacuum sealing their, their Tampa Bay jerseys into, you know, those vacuum sealed bags and tossing them in the attic and saying, you know, we're finished, we're done with it, you know, whatever else. And I remember thinking to myself, they're waking up, they're learning. This is a good thing. This is where it gets complicated. Their daughter graduated from a university in Florida, and they were accepted to numerous law schools across the nation. Probably, you know, I I don't know if you're consistently paying for law school or if it's a free ride. Again, I I don't know the ins and outs of the financial situation there, but the point is is that they were being they were receiving invitations to attend law school from again a number of different places. They decided to accept a their daughter decided to accept a scholarship or something along those lines to the University of California Los Angeles, UCLA and their law school. So they're going from a red county in a red state from what I would probably consider apolitical parents and an apolitical family with common sense, and their daughter is now going out to California, in particular Los Angeles. This is a slippery slope, because when you give your child to the state of California and you don't live in the state of California, you don't always get back the child that you sent out there. So out of curiosity, and to wrap up this story, I decided to look up their daughter on the internet to see where they were and what they were doing. Their daughter has a LinkedIn page. That's problematic in itself because again LinkedIn is one of those companies where if if people really did the homework and the research on LinkedIn you would find out that that's not the best group to be a part of with that said it's also one of those organizations and institutions that is highly pressured for people to be a part of regardless of your line of work if you're a professor, you need to be on LinkedIn. If you're a school teacher, you need to be on LinkedIn. If you're a lawyer or you want to be, you need to be on LinkedIn. If you're a student, you should be on LinkedIn because that's how you connect with people and that's really social media and that's where you 
you build networks, quote unquote. I'm using huge finger quotes because I hate that word networking. It's just disgusting. It takes out all individuality whatsoever and a, and a belief in one's own ability that you have to rely on other people to get something done. I think it's gross, but that's my take. It's a globalist mentality. We're all connected. We all need to be connected and we all need to rely on one another. And you can't achieve on your own without the help of someone else. Okay. So I looked them up on LinkedIn. And what I saw was disappointing, saddening, and uh, alarming, but not surprising. They don't have a profile picture of themselves, but in the background on you know the, the, the larger picture that would sit behind the profile picture is the rainbow flag. And it's not just the rainbow flag for this individual who, again, is a law student at UCLA, but it's, it's the rainbow flag that has all the different lines, including the, you know, the brown line and the transgender this and the transgender that and the alphabet soup bullshit. It's all there. And then you go down the list again, reading every word on the page, and they have pronouns now. She, her, and hers. And I remember, again, looking at this and just... My heart sank. It just sank. And I thought to myself, I, I, I knew this person as a middle school and high school student. You know, they were, they were kind, they were open-minded. And, and I mean, I even paid them. When I would go on vacation, I, I paid this individual to water my plants. I used to have two bonsai trees in my house. Uh, in a windowsill, and I would pay them to come over and water them once a week. Uh, I saw the pronoun thing. I saw the rainbow flag, and and my again, my heart just sank. And I thought to myself, "Sweet pickle Jesus, what is going on? This is what happens when you give your kid to California. You end up getting something back that is not." is not the same. I have yet to really meet people who go out to California from the East, in particular when they're younger, and then they all of the sudden come back a better person or not brainwashed. There's something out there in the water or in the air that just sucks in so many people. Now, with that said, my concern also, of course, went to the shots, because you know that UCLA forced the shots on all of their students and faculty. So is this person jabbed? I'd bet my right hand on it. The rainbow flag gives it away. The pronoun use is absurd. That gives it away. They have to be jabbed. Are they still alive? I have no idea. I have no idea. Does this person still talk to their parents with the rainbow flag and the pronoun bullshit? I have no idea. I don't talk with these people anymore. Haven't in a number of years. Uh, it's just alarming. It's alarming. And I hope she's alive. I hope she's well. I hope that someday, I hope she's unjabbed. I hope that someday she comes to the realization 
that she's been lied to and misled and brainwashed because real history would indicate that that is 100% true. Fake history and quote unquote progressivism would indicate that it, it, the brainwashing has its hooks deeply implanted in this person, if not their own parents now. And uh, I don't know if they're ever going to get that back. I don't know if they're ever going to unhook themselves from that brainwashing because, again, these institutions are not interested in teaching real history. They're not, inst- they're not interested in teaching real law. They're interested in teaching people how to bend and break law to then justify it for their own means and their own use. But, yeah, I know that I, I know that, that experience isn't unique. Endless people, again, have lost their children to, whether it be college or graduate school or higher education, whatever it is. They send them off, and then they come back from Christmas break, and all of a sudden they hate their parents. And their parents start talking in a, a particular way, no different than the way that they've always talked. But now all of a sudden, it's the child who has it all figured out, and it's the child that, that knows everything that's going on. It's alarming. But a quick little internet search, and you can figure out where these people stand on particular things and what's going on with them. And I have to tell you, it's sad. I just think it's sad. So I wish the best for them. Uh, if they're jabbed, they're in deep, deep trouble. And again, you know, it, it brings up this thing too. New California. Do they even know that most of the counties and districts in the state of California are seceding from the rest of California, which again involves the a complete removal from the Los Angeles area and the San Francisco area of California. And that this is legal. This is a new thing. That new California could become the 51st state of the United States. And again, there's a conference going on to to take that on and, and make that a thing as I'm talking to you right now. That's actually happening. I hope they succeed. Because what will happen is, is New California will turn the water back on. New California will implement new laws to immediately make their counties safer. They will get rid of illegal aliens and a thousand other things. Uh, they will isolate the most radical aspects of the state of California. Again, do, do law students know that this is happening? Are they being taught this? Do they know that they're, they're, they're placing themselves on an island? In an island of radical behavior that is leading to their own destruction? By their own hand, I might, I might add. If you can control the brain of the person, you can control their hand and what they actually do to themselves, i.e. the shots. It's disgusting, and, and it's sad, and uh, yeah, I, I don't know how to wrap that up other than to say it's sad to watch how far people fall, but it's also very telling as to how strong the brainwashing within these institutions really is. Let me shift gears now to this particular story before I get into the jab stuff and that uh, World Health Organization document. I want to read this. In fact, it's a nice segue from, from the story that I just told because 
This right here is, again, another avenue within the education business and ideology that is crushing good educators, and it's destroying them. And they're leaving, just like I left, and they're leaving and figuring out that they wish that they would have done this a long time ago. This is from American Thinker. It was written on January 12th, certainly published there, by Amy Adamson. And it's titled, I'm Not Qualified. It says this, quote, I've taught high school English in the public school for 20 years in three states, including two red states and a deep blue state. I have taught mainstream English, honors English, and remedial English. I've worked in alternative schools, high poverty schools, large high schools serving mostly English learners, and predominantly white middle class schools. Last month, I let my teaching license expire. For the first time since 1998, I am no longer qualified to be a teacher in my home state of Kansas. When I consider the public education landscape not only in the Midwest, but across the country, it is with sadness that I think, quote, not qualified to teach secondary English anymore, question mark, you're right. They continued and said, I'm not qualified to deliver counseling services to the legions of broken, fatherless, emotionally stunned students who walk through our classroom doors every day. I'm not qualified to engage in behavior modification with dysregulated, angry, angry kids who exhibit no impulse control, zero empathy for others. Students have talked about killing me, threatening to hit me in the face. Upon writing, up these indictments, or incidents rather, I have been blamed, told I need to work on building relationships, quote unquote, with students, or offered more training on working with students dealing with trauma and abuse. Administrators pass off these students' students' comments with, oh, he didn't mean it, quote unquote, and I talked to him, quote unquote, or, quote, Think about what may have occurred in your class that provoked this behavior, unquote. These are minimal consequences for students who verbally and physically assault teachers. It's open season on public school staff. I am not alone. I am not qualified to instruct near adults on the basis of third grade reading, grammar, and spelling skills. It's become increasingly impossible to teach high school level literature, let alone the classics. I used to be able to hand a 17-year-old Anna Karenina, Lord of the Flies, The Good Earth, or a Shakespearean play, not read in class, and the student could read and understand it. Today, nearly half of students cannot read at grade level. Efforts to teach literature have devolved into my reading, into my reading most of the book allowed in class should I wish to foster a class discussion around a complex piece of fiction or any long-form text that requires reflection, analysis, and the ability to hold multiple plot structures in one's mind. Rather than uphold standards for even the most basic high school English courses, administrators ask that I modify, quote-unquote, my curriculum and provide a veritable three-dimensional chess game of accommodations, quote-unquote, for students so they can achieve a passing grade in my class without having moved the needle on their literacy skills one bit. If I wanted to teach elementary level skills, I would have become an elementary school teacher. I am not qualified 
to compete with cell phones, voracious TikTok videos, never-ending rabbit holes of YouTube videos, and games that deliver cheap dopamine hits to students, starved psyches, and groom their self-doubt, self-loathing, and ever-shortened attention spans. I'm not qualified to teach delayed gratification to cohorts of students raised on cheap technological false, I'm sorry, technological fare consisting of constantly flickering videos, short sound bites, and mere snippets of cogent English sentences. I've opted out of the sleepless nights, the weapons-grade emotional exhaustion. No kidding. No kidding on that one. And constant second-guessing of myself in every assignment I create, teach, and grade. I've opted out of the blame from parents, administrators, and entitled students. I am done feeling that I never work hard enough, that I can never sacrifice enough of my weekends, evenings, and holidays to remediate students, teach them some semblance of grade-level work, and serve as a family therapist, social-emotional services director, or anger management group leader. I've opted out of tiptoeing around the subtle political indoctrination that's increasingly present in the approved curriculum and with which I do not agree. I've opted out of feeling that my biggest crime teaching English in the public schools is that I actually teach English in the public schools. I am a simple English teacher. I am not the best teacher out there. I am not the worst. I care that my students are literate, thoughtful, and that they leave my class prepared for college-level work, or that they at least possess the work ethic and resilience to enter a brave new world we've created for them. I've tried not to give up on this career into which I've invested money, emotion, my free time, the bulk of my youth, really. I look back on the years when I had fun creating and teaching challenging curriculum with a sense of autonomy and support from most parents and administrators as a wind at my back. Those days are long gone. The schoolhouse of 20 years ago is not today's schoolhouse. Kansas State Department of Education, you're right. When it comes to teaching in what passes for today's public classroom, I am no longer qualified. Unquote. It's well done. Not a word about the jabs. There's hints at coercion in that article, but not a word about, again, the depopulation agenda, how this is going to impact the brains and minds of the students and the teachers and the administrators. Again, the actions of the last three years. We're coming up on the three-year anniversary of this pandemic and this entire psychological operation, which had to happen. People had to see the enemy. And unfortunately, it's taken copious amounts of lives, and it's going to continue to do so. But we're coming up on the three-year anniversary of the implementation of this. And the entire K-12 university apparatus is, is crumbling in front of everyone. And again, excellent article, well-written. They're 100% right. They're waking up, which is great. It's going to be bluer skies and greener pastures on the other side. I'm certain of it for this person. I hope they're not jabbed. I, I hope that they didn't follow, you know, fall for that coercion. But that alone, 
along with everything that they detailed and detailed very well, should prove to everybody the abusive environment that is K-12 and higher education and graduate school, in particular if it's not within an online environment. If it's a brick-and-mortar institution, it's abusive. They've shown their hands. They were forced to play their cards. And it's, and it's hurting people, and it's getting people killed. But again, hopefully, this is an unjabbed individual who, uh, who will continue to do what they do in a better way, in a better environment, in a healthier place, away from the need for a teacher's license, which again, you've heard me rail on that before with regularity, that the teacher's license is slavery. The teacher's license is designed to have the government hand on the back of your neck to keep you moving in their direction. And if you don't move in their direction, well, you might find that restrictions are placed on your teaching license or that you just walk away from it completely like this person did because you don't want that hand on the back of your neck anymore. And God love them. Let me get into this now. This is the, the jab-related stuff. I'm just going to read these headlines. Kindergarten student in Ohio school dies suddenly. Huron, Ohio, uh, Sunday when a young child died unexpectedly, un- unexpectedly. Shawnee Elementary School announced the death of Evelyn Bauer, a kindergarten student attending school. Here's another one. 17-year-old high school student in Ohio dies suddenly from cardiac arrest while at school. This is not this is not normal. And this one too, Air Force offensive lineman Hunter Brown dies at 21 after medical emergency. He apparently died on his way to class. He was walking to class and fell over and died. Uh, again, has this happened within actual college classrooms? You can bank on it. You can take that to the bank. It had to have. There had to have been students at the college level, because it's happened at the K-12 level, but it has to have happened at the college level where they drop over in the middle of an American university or college classroom with witnesses. Are we hearing about this all of the time? Of course not. And there's a very good reason as to why we're not hearing about it all of the time. And I'm going to get into that right now. Like I said at the beginning of this episode, this is multidimensional here. This is a multidimensional approach that the World Health Organization, in particular in Europe, and of course, then it disseminates out to everybody else, that they are taking when it comes to their communication regarding vaccine crisis, as they call it. So again, I'm going to link this document in the description below because it is titled Vaccine Crisis Communication Manual, a Step-by-Step Guidance for National Immunization Programs. Multiple avenues to this, multiple angles. I'm going to do my best to cover as many of them as I can possibly think of. But there is an abstract to this, which I do want to read that's very brief. It says the following, it says, quote, This manual was developed to support countries in effectively responding to events which may erode the public's trust in vaccines and the authorities that deliver them. 
In addition, a small section of this manual focuses on how to best prepare for a potential crisis and provides some insights into conducting post-crisis assessments. For the response phase, step-by-step guidance is provided on how to manage the communication aspects of a vaccine crisis. Now, again, that alone has multiple angles. Vaccine crisis in that people aren't taking them anymore. That's number one. Vaccine crisis number two, people don't want to take them. They just feel, they just don't feel the need that they are interested in taking it. Number three, how is it that you coerce people into taking it in order to keep their jobs or maintain a particular position? Number four, and this is an angle that is covered in here, if the, if the proverbial shit hits the fan regarding deaths associated with it, what is it that we do and what is it that we say to cover up and to mitigate that disaster as best as humanly possible? All of that is included in this. The error, I think, that people are making with this document, if they've spent any time on it, is that initially when this rolled out and people started to read this, they're saying, well, if you're interested in what the media is saying and why the media, quote unquote, is saying, the, saying what they're saying regarding these shots and the people dying from them, this is the document that, that proves that. What this document actually proves, of course, is far worse than that. This is not just media. It's not just media public, public relations. This is every single institution that exists. It does not matter the company. This is the airline industry. This is colleges, universities, and K-12 school districts. Big businesses like Amazon and others. Right down to politicians or right up to politicians, however you want to phrase that. All throughout government. Any government organizations, any government entities, yes, of course, the news media, right down to the local level, also including, of course, newspapers. And then, of course, we know, again, that politicians at the local level, too, are included in this. This is a framework for all of them to basically say if someone is questioning this or you yourself are asking questions, here's what needs to be done. Here's what you need to do to sort of put out the fire, so to speak. So here's the table of contents. It says this, and it starts off with introduction 1.1 and 1.2. It says, who is this manual intended for? And then it says crisis response at one glance, and then a checklist. Again, this is approximately a 20-page document. There's appendices and so on and so forth after that. But then the next section in the table of contents is preparing for vaccine crises, a brief overview of communication actions, assessing when and how to communicate. So, and then there's three parts below that, assess the type of vaccine related event, gather information, assess potential impact. Section three of this then says crisis response coordinate and engage, design communication response, and then inform the public. And then the bullet points below all three of those sections say the following. Under coordinate and engage, it says gather vaccine crisis coordination group and then share information. Under design communication response, it says identify key audiences, 
define communication objectives and actions, prepare messages, choose communication channels, and monitor public opinion and the media. And then under inform the public, it says brief spokespersons, communicate with the public, communicate with the media, and then continue response. And then section four of this document is an evaluation and a brief overview. On the very next page, it has tables and figures, and it lists the titles of those. I'm going to read that. Uh, figure one is titled Communication-Related Actions in Each Phase of Vaccine Crisis Management. Figure three, it skips to three for some reason, Types of Vaccine-Related Events. Figure four, Communication Strategies Based on Impact Assessment. Figure five, Crisis Response Key Communication Actions. And then there's at least nine tables. The first one is preparedness phase, key actions. The second one is gathering information to understand the event. Table three says example of classification of key audiences. Table four says example of communication objectives and actions. Table five, possible messages related to various potential high impact events. Table six, example of tailoring messages to different target audiences. Table 7, Communication Tools and Channels. Table 8, Strategies to Monitor Public Opinion. Table 9, Post-Crises Assessment Key Communication Actions. And then there's a Table Annex 2.1, which is titled List of Sample Questions Evaluation Phase. This is frightening. This is frightening. It is, again, designed... By endless organizations here, United Nations, WEF, World, H World Health Organization, all of them, because one does not operate without the other. And then, of course, they have a glossary of terminology. I've got, oh my God in heaven, I have to read this. Their glossary, adverse event following immunization. It says, any untoward medical occurrence which follows immunization and which does not necessarily have a causal relationship with the usage of the vaccine. The adverse event may be an unfavorable sign, abnormal laboratory finding, or symptom of disease. Again, you can already hear the, the, the cover-up in their own language. The next one is vaccine crisis coordination mechanism. Good Lord. It says the following, a coordination mechanism established by the Ministry of Health, that sounds delightful, or other health authority to prepare for and respond to a vaccine crisis. This is normally a vaccine crisis coordination group consisting of stakeholders from various institutions representing different areas of expertise, including immunization experts and communication experts. In a crisis, this group can be restructured or expanded to include relevant experts as appropriate for the context. Example, a human papillomavirus vaccine-related crisis will require a different set of stakeholders to respond than a crisis related to the publication of a negative article. The group may have a subgroup focused specifically on communication, and it should develop a vaccine crisis communication plan. Their glossary for the term vaccine crisis. This manual defines a vaccine crisis as an event which will most likely or most likely or has already eroded public trust in vaccines and or vaccination 
and the authorities delivering them and may create uncertainty. This requires immediate action and any effective response to curb the negative impact vaccine-related events may have or may not be directly caused by vaccines slash vaccination itself. The last one here is a vaccine-related event and what that means according to them. A vaccine-related event is any event which could potentially create uncertainty and or erode the public's trust in vaccines and or vaccination and the authorities delivering them. Not all vaccine-related events will develop into a crisis. Vaccine-related events may or may not be directly caused by vaccines or vaccination itself, unquote. Again, they're using this to cover every single possible base that they can. It isn't just vaccine implementation that they were seeking to engage in to coerce people into taking this biological weapon. But at the same time, what is it that they do at the beginning, middle, excuse me, and even after implementing this particular program, depopulation agenda, because that's what it is, in order to cover their own backsides as best that they can? Some of it includes a doubling down, of course, of saying, well, nothing is happening. And then, of course, a lot of it is just flat-out deception and, uh, and trying to throw people off in particular directions the best that they can. I, I, I can't for the life of me figure out why they think they're going to get away with this, but they're psychopaths, so that's, that's that. Here, here's their introduction page before I'm, I get into some of these charts. Again, this is a lengthy document. I'm not going to read every page because uh, I really can't and I don't want to bore people to death. But it is a frightening document nonetheless. It, it says this in their introduction page. It says, quote, Every immunization program eventually faces events that have the potential to erode trust in vaccines and or vaccination and the authorities delivering them. This could be a change in the routine immunization schedule, the introduction of a new vaccine, a false rumor related to a vaccine, or any untoward medical occurrence which follows immunization and which does not necessarily have a causal relationship with the usage of the vaccine. In this manual, we refer to these collectively as vaccine-related events. For immunization programs, it is crucial to be well-prepared and have a mechanism in place to respond to vaccine-related events, which may, at any time, evolve into a crisis situations. Evolve into crisis situations. It says, this document provides immunization programs and other stakeholders with a step-by-step guidance on how to effectively manage the communication response to vaccine-related events, particularly those with a potential high impact on public trust which are therefore considered to be a vaccine crisis. Countries are encouraged to use this manual as inspiration to create their own country and context-specific vaccine crisis communication plans. While there are three general phases of vaccine crisis management, this manual mainly focuses on communication across related actions, rather, related to response to the response phase. It says, however, to provide a broader context, it also offers suggestions for assessing the communication response to vaccine-related events that may not develop into a crisis. In a short section 
on communication actions during the preparedness and post-crisis evaluation phase, which is figure one. It says the manual draws on the WHO Regional Office of Europe Vaccine Safety Communication Library. Throughout the manual, references are made to documents in an online library for further information and guidance when communicating about and during a so-called vaccine crisis. It says the main goal is to rebuild trust in vaccines as one of the most important public health interventions. A crisis management is a iterative and rapidly evolving, iterative, I'm not sure, and rapidly evolving process. The order of suggested actions may vary in practice. Unquote. Now I'm going to throw this theory out there because this was one bouncing around the old interwebs, and rightfully so. What if DeMar Hamlin is actually brain dead? What if he's not alive and it was all a show and he's actually brain dead? What if, what if they're claiming he's alive and they're going to claim that they gave him a shot to improve his heart function and then say he's alive? That way, individuals who are jabbed who have heart problems will be coerced through Again, propaganda, false documentation, whatever, into then taking another shot under the guise of that other shot helping their alleged heart condition, which is certainly a real heart condition as a result, of course, of taking the shots in the first place. So it's the problem-reaction-solution agenda also. It's the same thing. Again, that's plausible. All of that is beyond plausible. So here's the communication-related actions in each phase of vaccine crisis management. Again, if I was to take a screenshot of, of any of the slides, this would, this would be an important one, and this is their figure one. We have to keep in mind, though, this is not just for the media. This is every organization that pushed this. This is designed to protect them through more propaganda and more use, word usage and more gaslighting. We're talking about mayors, city council members, police departments, sheriff's departments, uh, county health directors, state departments of education, governors, pick one. It's all of them. Universities, K-12 schools, it's everything. Under the preparedness phase, now in your head, imagine three columns in front of you going up and down. On the first column on the left-hand side at the top, it says preparedness phase, and below it, it says this, different boxes. Create stakeholder networks is the first one. Establish coordination mechanism is the next. Create a crisis plan is the next. Monitor public opinion. Think about that one. Prepare messages and then communicate with the public. Then there's the response phase, which is the middle column. It says coordinate and engage, and then there's a bracket off of that which says gather response group, share information. The next one says design communication response, where they want people to identify key audiences, define communication goal, prepare messages, choose communication channels. The next box is monitor public opinion and the media, which again, same thing, they just repeat themselves, and then inform the public. 
brief spokespersons communicate with the public, communicate with the media, and continue the response. I'm going to get to that in just a second. The last phase is the evaluation phase, which says conduct a review, shared learned lessons, and then revise the crisis communication plan based on lessons learned. In the inform the public section, brief spokespersons communicate with the public, communicate with the media, and then continue the response. That's exactly what happens in every false flag event, whether it be Uvalde, Sandy Hook, you name it. Pick a false flag event. In particular, I might add, where adults and children are are playing along or being manipulated within the false flag event. They engage in those practices constantly. Only a certain number of people are allowed to speak. Only a certain, and those very people, of course, have microphones in front of their faces. Limited questions are allowed to be asked. They communicate with the public when they see fit. They communicate with the media when they see fit. The media works with them. The surrounding public tends to work with them because the public is gullible and naive, and they believe the message no matter what it is. And then they rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. This is, this is horrible. Again, this is exactly what we can expect universities, colleges, and K-12 schools to implement. They will implement this plan when their own staff members and students are dropping dead. It's going to happen because it's already happening. Right now, if I was to take a guess, I would say that in the preparedness phase, they're not even there yet necessarily. They're not even there yet. All they're doing is maybe one or two of the parameters under the preparedness phase, like communicating with the public, but I would say they're not even doing that. All they're doing is communicating maybe with stakeholders about what's happening and what they're seeing, lower enrollment, people not showing up, people getting sick, people dying. And then they're not even to the stage where they're having to formulate a more serious message for everyone to just understand that it's not the vaccines, when in fact we know that's not the truth. I I, I don't think that they are, I don't think they're at the beginning of this phase yet. I have no doubt that they're going to be eventually, but um, yeah, this is, this is awful. There's another, another page here. This is page two in the PDF. Introduction. Who is the manual intended for? Everyone, as you would expect, but it has bullet points of people that, again, they believe that this is intended for. It says, while this manual aims to support national immunization programs, it may benefit all stakeholders directly involved in communications as part of a vaccine crisis management, including immunization program staff. Again, pick a line of work. Airlines, massive businesses, companies, insurance companies, it it doesn't matter. Pick any line of work you want. Immunization program staff, so they have a group within their organizations that, again, is formulating the message. They're reading this document. It says, ministries of health and education and other relevant, re- relevant ministries, institutions of public health, public health institutions and associations, others working in the field of immunization, both at the national and subnational levels. And then it says, other partners, 
example, the United Nations organizations, non-governmental organizations, NGOs, and then civil society organizations, which is everybody. It's everybody. Now, under the first figure, which I just went through, where it said, again, preparedness phase, response phase, evaluation phase, a couple of pages down on page four, they have a page titled Introduction Crisis Response at One Glance, a Checklist. So they have actions on the left-hand side. They have comments in the middle. And then they have a status on the right-hand side with three boxes that they can choose from. Not started, in progress, or completed. Here are the actions that they have listed. Gather a response group, share information, identify key audiences, define communication goals, prepare messages, choose communication channels, monitor public opinion, monitor the media, brief a spokesperson, communicate with the public, and then communicate with the media. And then again, they have a, a quick little comment or a strategy on how to get that done. It's disgusting. This entire thing is disgusting. Preparing for vaccine crises, a brief overview of communication actions. They have recommendations, a giant section here on recommendations right in the middle of this chart. I could spend all day on this document. I really could, and I could go through it page by page. But uh, this would be a two-hour episode. The, the next page is titled Preparing for Vaccine Crisis, Crises, a Brief Overview of Communication Actions. The next one is assessing when and how to communicate for a vaccine crisis, preparing uh, for a vaccine crisis, assessing when and how to communicate. Another page here, page nine, again, preparing for vaccine crises, assessing when and how to communicate. And they have three sections on this chart. Potential, uh, it says assess potential impact. Does it have a low, a medium, or a high impact on trust? It says low impact. I'm going to read this one. This is interesting too. It says low potential impact, and then it has examples and then communication-related activities. So this is for low impact. They want people to communicate or to continue to communicate routinely and be prepared. So this aligns with phase one of preparedness. It says examples. The vaccine is replaced with only a slightly reconfigured product. Events with no public attention nor social media coverage. So this is something they have planned. Change things without telling people they're changing things. The communication-related activities they have listed here includes maintain effective communication to ensure public trust and immunization, engage in routine communications, and keep a close eye on public debate. That's the low potential impact when it comes to a vaccine crisis and how to communicate. The medium potential impact. Examples. An event in another country, such as change of schedule, with a vaccine used in your country, an event gets, the event gets no media attention at this stage, but media attention could be anticipated. Minor AEFI or with un or with unlikely link to vaccination with media coverage restricted to one local area, 
false claim made by a popular social media influencer that begins circulating in the country. It is important to mention that medium impact events may develop into high impact events. If the situation changes or the response is not managed adequately and in time, the communication related activities that they suggest then for this medium impact is prepare for a potential public debate on the topic, start developing messages, share them with key stakeholders, spokespersons, and partners. Example, who may be contacted by the media or public. It says, where appropriate, start communicating with selected audiences, but not yet to a wider audience. Activate your stakeholder network and continue to monitor and gather information about the event and public opinion. It says again, medium impact, do not communicate with the public yet. Intensify preparedness effort and be ready to proceed to crisis response. The, the last one they have listed is high potential impact, which is respond immediately and then proceed to phase two, which is the crisis response. The examples that they provide. Death following vaccination. Pending investigation. Cluster of minor AEFIs, events which involve children, the elderly, pregnant women, or vulnerable groups, the introduction of a new vaccine, vaccine recall, vaccine suspension, mass vaccination campaign, misleading but powerful story publication which attracts a lot of negative social media attention. The response, the respond immediately then suggests. Follow the steps outlined in Phase 2 Crisis Response. Specific case example for each category of events are outlined in Annex 1. And then it says Figure 4 illustrates different communication strategies depending on the impact of the event may have on the public's trust in immunization and the authorities delivering them. For more information, consult how to ensure a context-specific response to events that may erode trust. We're there already, ladies and gentlemen. We are in the high potential impact section. No doubt about it. In New York alone, right now, as I'm talking to you, over 8,700 nurses are on strike. Now, the media, grabbing a hold of this story, of course, is spinning it into saying that they're striking because of low pay and not enough nurses. That's not entirely true, is it? So we can see this World Health Organization framework for crises communication already taking place within that particular story. Nurses are on strike by the thousands in New York City because many of them are jabbed, many of them are already injured, plenty of them are already dead. And now they're just saying, well, they're walking off of the job because, you know, there's long hours and there aren't uh, a lot of nurses working because we have staff shortages and that's just kind of the way that it goes. Nope, it's way worse than that. And they're not hitting on the real reasons as to why that's the case. The crisis response, good Lord, coordinate and engage, it says. Understand and assess the event. Monitor public opinion and the media and then inform the public. It's all propaganda. Vaccine safety communication. Make sure and ram that down people's throats. Vaccines are safe. Vaccines are safe. 
It's just more gaslighting. Design communication responses. They provide examples. Most affected by a crisis in group one, group two, active influencers, group three, passive influencers. They want everybody on the same page for this. Straight to the slaughterhouse. We're watching this, we're watching this in real time. I'm going to summarize this episode and in this document by saying this again. I'm going to link it in the description below so you can download this. You should download it. Read the whole thing. Send it to anybody you want because this is their framework. This is their framework for what they are doing to gaslight the public beyond what they've already done with the initial rollout of all of this. Again, I'm having a hard time finding a specific date for this, but it does say 2022. There we go. WHO Regional Office for Europe 2022. So what time during 2022 was this put together? I have no idea. Um, there, there's, no, there's no month associated with it. But they want to continue with, again, their immunization communication. They want to continue with anything that they can do regarding the cover-up of what's going on. And then we know that they're monitoring us and what we are saying regarding this depopulation agenda and this bioweapon genocide. And then they are responding in kind, which again involves not talking about it. It involves not talking about it. It involves deflecting from the vaccines as quickly as humanly possible. This isn't vaccine-related. You don't know what you're talking about. It involves discrediting people as best that they can, using their credentials against them. Um, They know that the active influencers involve parents, grandparents, teachers, educators, social media influencers. They're using these people to get these messages across. I would just encourage people to understand that this isn't just the media. This playbook is being used by everyone. Anybody in the public eye with anything to lose is following this framework. Is this exact document going to find its way into the inboxes of every department chair at the university level or every school board member across K-12 schools? No. But what is, is a very similar document, could be even word for word, that will have the university or school's letterhead on it, and then they'll just cut and paste the slides into their own slideshow, and then it'll make it look as if it is their own document. There's absolutely no way to end on a positive note regarding this document. It's, it's enormous. It's massive. It's incredibly important. Again, I will link it in the description below. You need to download a hard copy of this. You need to keep it, certainly an electronic copy, and understand that everything that you're seeing and everything that you are hearing is being followed by all of those quote-unquote stakeholders, and they do have a stake in the game and it is slipping right out of their hands and right out of the ground. And their, their cheap tent is going to go flying in the wind when this is all said and done. But we have their own documentation here. We have their own paperwork that says this is how we need to cover this up. If people panic, if people don't like what we're doing, 
If people start to fall ill, we will deflect, deflect, deflect. We will double down. We will reassure them that what they are seeing is not what they are seeing and that what we were saying initially is in fact true. This is the civil war that is taking place right now. This is it. This document proves it. It proves it beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, myself included, but many people are probably saying to yourself, gee, Sean, how are you going to end this? How are you going to end this episode on a positive note? I would end it on a positive note by saying this. We've been exposed to this document now. We know that this document exists. This was leaked by somebody to us. Is it surprising? No, it's not surprising. It's not a surprising document, not to us anyway. We know that these things exist. We know that they write them down. We know that they want to use communistic language the best that they can and get everybody on the exact same page. We're well aware of that. But we're being shown this document so that whatever happens in the future, we know is coming. And we know exactly what their response is going to be. That way, we can't be fooled. And if we share this information with other people, then they won't be fooled either. So the document proves that everybody on the wrong side of history is in this together. We know that. We know that the education institutions are involved. They're brainwashed. They don't really know what's going on. If they knew this was a biological weapon, do you really think they would give it to everybody? Of course not. Of course they wouldn't. They've killed themselves and they're running themselves out of their own line of work because their own line of work won't exist in the future. Which, by the way, I might add, that continues to be an angle that you know I cover on this show with regularity, and I'm still not hearing people bring it up. I'm still not hearing those who have a, a larger audience and a bigger microphone and a taller soapbox bring that up. That we are, we are physically watching the end of K-12 education and, and higher education as we know it. Again, people are still going after the critical theory. They're still going after the mask wearing. Don't implement that ever again. You know, they're doing all of that stuff, which is fine and dandy. The bigger problem is the biological weapon genocide that's taking place within those lines of work in those institutions. And as you heard me say in the last episode regarding even left-wing organizations bringing up why schools are closing their doors because of low enrollment and not enough money and whatever, they purposefully leave out the jabs, don't they? This WHO document describes in detail that that is part of the plan. If you're going to write about something that's clearly and visibly unavoidable, like low enrollment at colleges and universities and the increase in homeschooling, whatever you do, don't say it's because of immunizations. Do not say it's because of vaccinations. Don't do that. That's the positive with this document. The document lifts the veil. It's bulletproof, actually. It shows perfectly what the enemy is doing with their word usage. And I love word usage. You know that. I love qualitative reasoning and analysis. This is a direct correlation between what we are reading and hearing about in every news outlet, every single one of them. Even Fox News, which is an abomination, is following this to the T. 
Now, why are they following it to the T for all the same reasons that everybody else is following it? They went along with this too. Their employees are jabbed. The ones that didn't want to get jabbed quit and they left. They pushed the jabs on the public. They normalized all of that. Remember Ainsley Earhart on uh, Fox and Friends in the Morning? I'm, this is a direct quote. Just get your vaccine. You'll feel, you'll feel better. You'll feel safer. I got mine and I feel safer. So she said. They're all in on it. And if you can fool, and if you can trick someone who's just stupid into believing that what they're saying is real without even having them think, they're just, they're just reading things and then they just believe it. Well, then you've got them, you've got them right where you want them. And they're a perfect tool for an agenda like this. So that's the, that, that's the positive in all of this is that this was leaked to us on purpose. So basically to help make us gaslight proof. Keep that in mind. Any words that you hear from politicians or anybody else throughout time going forward here, this is their playbook that they are using. With all of that said, ladies and gentlemen, God bless. Have a great weekend, and I'll catch you on Monday. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.